May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Sometimes a good way to talk about some challenging, difficult topics like mental health is through uh, humor. Doctor at my checkup asked me if I had any feelings of depression or anxiety. I said, don't we all? She said, no, (laughs) we don't. Just saw someone call a mental breakdown a minty bee, and I'm definitely going to start saying that. One of the comments to this tweet was, only if we start calling heart attacks Cardi B, cardiac breakdowns. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. And then I want to upgrade my depression to the one that makes you create Starry Night, not the one that has you lay in bed and try and eat a bagel without having to use your hands. So wouldn't it be nice to have the type of depression that creates beautiful artwork instead of do really weird things? So why talk about mental health at all in church? The reality is one in four pastors and congregants struggle with a mental illness or mental health issue, but half of churches surveyed rarely or have never talked about it. The Census Bureau's recent survey found that, oh, I might need your help, Kevin. Losing signal. One-third of U.S. adults report feeling anxiety and depression, and adults 18 to 24, half of them reported it. And that was from the 2023 survey. Lori Santos, who's a cognitive scientist and she's a psychology professor at Yale University, she says that some surveys say that 60% of the United States report being lonely on a regular basis. That we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world And we are a lonely nation. That's strange. 60% feel lonely on a regular basis. Our current Surgeon General said that feeling lonely on a regular basis is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of health and well-being. Our mental health is directly tied to our physical health. Yet, the data says that over half of churches never, ever talk about it. There's a mental health organization, Kintsugi Hope, surveyed Christians about mental health across denominations. And of the Christians surveyed, they actually had higher levels of mental health challenges than typical average population, which was interesting. Half of the Christians surveyed experienced anxiety, depression, and mental health issues. 91% of those Christians surveyed said that there is a stigma in their church around mental health and mental illness. Our society and our churches are not good at welcoming people, including people who don't seem typical, who don't act in typical ways, whose mind doesn't work in typical ways, people who do not always come across as happy and joyful. You have to put on your mask when you go to church. Put on your happy face. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We have a relationship with Jesus, so everything is great in life, and we're all happy all the time. No, it's not the way it works. Ironically, Jesus, whom Christians have called the Son of God and the Savior of the world, didn't fit his society's or his religion's picture of a typical person. His own family thought he was crazy. Mark 3 So as Jesus entered a house, a crowd gathered so that it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. It says they came to seize him in the Greek. And they were saying, he's out of his mind. 
the legal experts, the religious legal experts came down from Jerusalem over and over. They said he's possessed by Beelzebul, who is the leader of all the demons. He's possessed by a demon. His own family called him crazy. He's out of his mind. In John 10, there's another division among the Jews because of Jesus's words. And many of them said, he has a demon and has lost his mind. Why should we listen to him? Part of me wonders if Jesus were here today in churches, would they say that he's out of his mind? When you offer healing and belonging to people who are excluded by society, you're called crazy. When you challenge the political and religious institutions, you're called crazy, out of your mind. When you say that war has no place, violence has no place, instead to love your enemies... That's crazy. You're, nobody does that. You can't actually do that. We can't actually have a society that doesn't have violence and war. We can't have a government that does that. We can't actually practice this love your enemy stuff. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. Maybe fitting into society's boxes of what is typical isn't so great. Those boxes are just made up to determine who has more worth and value than others. Maybe it's okay to not fit in those boxes because those boxes can be dangerous and unhealthy and fake. So if you don't fit into those boxes, something to celebrate because neither did Jesus. Jesus grew up within those boxes and he broke out of them in a lot of ways. And we know Jesus wrestled with mental health, with grief and loneliness and fear and depression. When Jesus heard that his cousin John the Baptist had been murdered, beheaded, he withdrew, it says, to a place uh, that was lonely, a place of solitude. He had to get away. He couldn't be around people. He, he just had to get away. Luke 5 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. He would go out into the desert where no people were there. The word for lonely um, and in the Greek means an area that's not populated. He went out into nature, into the field, to the wilderness to get away from people. Why did he have to get away from people? Growing up, I was taught by some of my church leaders that when Jesus went off to the lonely places to pray, he was going off to have his quiet time, and he went off to have his special time with God. And you know, he probably made a cup of tea and put on some worship music and just had this intimate, quiet time with God. No, Jesus couldn't stand people sometimes, and he had to get away. The things that he said caused so many debates and conflicts with religious people, he had to get away. He had so many people trying to follow him, um, causing, sometimes threatening him, um, wanting him arrested and killed. He had to get away. Sometimes he was stressed. Sometimes he was overwhelmed by the chaos of life, overwhelmed by people and the situations that he had to deal with. And he had to get away. And yeah, he prayed. And I believe that he, yeah, spent time with God. He did whatever he needed to do to get grounded, uh, to remember what, what, what he's here for, um, and to find some peace and some solitude. So he wrestled with some mental health challenges. I've heard a lot of stories from people over the years in, in ministry about people who've shared with their church through small groups or through past with pastors about their struggle with depression and anxiety and 
so many people have told me um, maybe some of the things that you've heard. Well, you just need to trust God more. Um, you need to pray more. Uh, just have more faith. Uh, one person told me that their pastor said, is there a sin in your life that you have not repented of? Is that, that may be why you're experiencing depression, anxiety. So would that pastor have said the same thing to Jesus when he was feeling low? <laughs> Jesus, maybe there's some sin in your life you haven't repented of. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. These are normal human experiences that Jesus experienced and felt. It's okay. Psalms, uh, some scholars, including the Hebrew scriptures, professor at my seminary, who's an expert in Hebrew scriptures, told us that over half of the Psalms are laments. They are Psalms about writings about depression and fear and uh, suicidal thoughts. Uh, they are Psalms about going through horrible um, tragedies as communities and as countries and as families. Uh, one example is Psalm 88, my whole being is filled with distress. My life is at the very brink of hell. I am considered as one of those plummeting into the pit. I am like those who are beyond help, drifting among the dead. Your God, your fiery anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They surround me all day long like water. They engulf me completely. You've made my loved ones and companions distant my only friend is darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. That is dark. That is heavy. And these aren't private journal entries. These psalms were used as songs. People sang them together in community. Because when people heard that, so many others would say, yeah, I feel that too. I wrestle with that too. These are experiences, emotions that I believe are meant to be shared and experienced together as a way to say we are in solidarity together. If you're feeling this, it's okay. We're in this together. Over half of the Psalms are laments. That is encouraging to me. Sometimes we go to church services and it's happy, upbeat worship music the whole time and pastor gets up there, hey, church, come on. It's so happy. Don't see many Psalm 88s read in church worship services. But the experience of being human requires that we should be reading the Psalm 88s together. We feel these things together. We're hurting together. And that's okay. It's okay. What these passages remind me is that it's, for me, it's good and really healthy and important to name what I'm feeling, to write it down, process it, um, to be honest and authentic about how I'm feeling, um, my anger at God, my questions about why suffering um, is happening, and it's healthier for me to write that out like a psalm than it is to 
eat a whole bag of potato chips and binge Netflix and try to just numb it, just forget about it, just replace it with something that feels good in the moment. It's good to name it, process it, to let it out. The author of 1 Corinthians uh, writes that love is patient and kind and it celebrates truth. So be honest with ourselves about how we're feeling. Be truthful and celebrate that when we're honest about how we're feeling. But be patient with yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We don't always love ourselves very well. We are the most critical and judgmental towards ourselves. And so often when we're judgmental, critical of others, it's a reflection of something we don't like in ourselves. We need to work on as a church, as, you know, global church, as humanity, on how to love ourselves, how to be patient and kind and gentle with ourselves. And so I want us to practice that today through what's called a loving kindness meditation. Have you all done this before? Anyone? No one? Yes? Um, Loving kindness meditations have its roots before um, Buddha, 500 BC, and it's found in a lot of Eastern religions. Um, And it's also found in Christianity. When Jesus, 500 years after Buddha, said the golden rule, he was saying exactly what Buddha had said. So Christianity is a religion that tries to help people love themselves and be kind to ourselves. Um, So if this is your first time doing this, it may be uncomfortable, it may be strange, it may be awkward, that's okay. And if you're feeling that, be honest with yourself about it. And the practice here, and it is a practice, um, it takes practice, is to not be judgmental about yourself and how you're feeling or am I doing this right or am I doing this wrong or I don't feel good so I must be messing this up or my mind is drifting to something else to work tomorrow and then I'm failing at this. <laughs> it's, don't, do, don't do that. Don't do any of that. Just be kind and patient with yourself. And whatever arises, be curious about it. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder what that emotion is trying to tell me. So the loving-kindness meditation, it starts, we're going to start uh, in this one, and there are a lot of different variations. But this one came from the Greater Good Science Center from Berkeley. Uh, it's full of some neuroscientists and psychologists who actually study the effects of um, meditation and mindfulness on our bodies and minds. What's um, interesting, fascinating to me is that some of these contemplative spiritual practices are now being um, studied and researched um, by neuroscientists because they see that it has a change in our brain and change in our life and behavior. Uh, So let's practice this together. I invite all of you to just find whatever position is comfortable for you, your feet on the ground, if you want to lay on the floor, (laughs) do whatever makes you feel comfortable. I invite you to to close your eyes. I'll just take a deep breath. 
Let your attention and your awareness settle on your breath as it, you just allow your body to do what it knows how to do, just to breathe naturally. Notice the sensations of the breath, where that takes place in your body, in your chest, or your stomach. I invite you to bring to mind someone who really believes that they have the best interests in their heart. Someone who loves you, who has been kind to you, who has supported you. Someone you know now, someone from the past, a friend, a family member, a teacher, colleague. Bring them to mind as if they were seated right in front of you. Smiling at you. Imagine them truly wishing for you to be happy, fulfilled, whole, for you to have a life that is flourishing. Imagine them beaming towards you in their smile, in their eyes, with your next breaths. Inhale and draw in that intention of goodness, kindness. A couple more breaths. Take in this wish of wellness and happiness and joy from this person who loves you. image of this person, notice if there's any area of your body that has some emotional leftover residue, whether it's feelings of warmth or goodness, where, where does that land in your body? I invite you to bring to mind someone in your life who could really use an extra boost, friend, family member, colleague. Bring them to mind as though they were right in front of you, looking at you. Without too many stories or thoughts or ideas, just wish this person to be truly happy, fulfilled, and joyful. Say to them, may you be whole. May you be happy. May you be healed.
next couple of breaths, as you inhale, draw in that intention of goodness. As you exhale, send it out. As you release the image of this person, notice the sensations in your own body. wishing someone else well, of extending joy to them. As you release the image of this person, imagine a light in your chest that is slowly expanding outward. Say to yourself, may I be whole. May I be happy. May I be safe. practice to a close with a long inhale and long exhale together. Kylie and Stetson, would you lead us in a song? They're going to sing a song called You Say that is about setting our intention to recognize that our emotions and our thoughts are temporary, they're fleeting, they change, and they are not our deepest, truest self. That's what this song is about. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just a sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just to
What you say?